Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. My name is Steve Wiss, and I'm joined, as ever, on my good friend Jonathan Ferdugba. Have you wintered well, my old pal? Happy 2022, Steve. Happy 2022 to everyone listening. We're back. Uh, or I'm back anyway. You were you were at it last week, so uh, yeah, good to good to be back now with you, uh, my friend, for another year. How how is everything? Yeah, I'm well. Um, you know, it's uh, it's certainly uh, with the European competitions uh, back in action now. I was very very excited by the Celtic Budapest game. It went far better from a from a Norwegian perspective than than I expected. Uh, so really, uh, you know, it was a fantastic result for them there, which we're going to talk about soon. But uh, yeah, well, well, I'm truly looking forward to the uh, the rest of the year and season ahead. Yeah, and on, obviously on the last show we uh, we had a special few special guests, didn't we? Previewing that that, that glim game. Uh, on, on this show today, we're going to move towards Denmark as well with the return of the Superliga. We've got um, special guests coming up, uh, and also um, we're joined by Henry, who's back from football in DK, our good friend. So, um, but before we do that. Let's let's look at that game that we previewed last week, Steve. You know, you uh, you were excited about it. You you were quite famous, weren't you? You're a bit of a celebrity uh, <laughs> on various YouTube channels. I saw you popping up. Um, yeah. When we got into the meat of the game, how was it for you? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where I think anyone who knew anything about Budaglim was kind of in demand last week. Um, but uh, yeah, we had we had a couple of really good guests on. I think. Uh, it was a surprise that Budigan won for me 3-1. But I had the, it was the same last year when I kind of doubted them against Roma. And once again, they completely uh, turned uh, everything upside down. And uh, I, I, I couldn't believe how good they looked in terms of their organisation and physical fitness, considering they've not had a competitive game since December. So but that's... Before you, before you analyse the game, could, what was it, could you just give us the score and... Oh, well, sorry. Yeah, I'm jumping the gun. I'm jumping those, the gun. Those who aren't aware of it, uh, how did it <laughs> unfold in terms of score and scoring, etc.? I'm being very presumptuous here. Yeah, Celtic <laughs> 1, Budaglimp 3. Uh, uh, Budaglimp took the lead inside the first uh, seven minutes. Runar Espiord on his debut for the uh, club uh, with an excellent finish. And uh, Amal Pellegrino made it 2-0 in the 55th minute. Celtic uh, kind of knocked on the door a bit from uh, Maeda's header in the 79th, but just a couple of minutes later, Hugo Vesselson, um, who had a fantastic game in midfield, he scored a deflected shot to make it 3-1. Away goals don't count now in Europe, which is kind of a shame for Budigant, but uh, a, a remarkable 3-1 win at Parkhead against a Celtic side that had only, um, had really, had hardly lost a game of football in its last sort of 25, 26 games. The crazy thing about this, I think, from my perspective is that there was a lot of kind of, uh, after the Celtic Rangers game, Celtic when Celtic battered Rangers uh, in a recent game a few weeks ago, there was kind of a perception that Celtic are kind of like, they're here now, aren't they? They're, 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 they're the new manager and everything. They're going to be a big team, um, which to be fair, they're doing, you know, they're doing really well in the league. They've sort of turned things around under, under Andrew Postacoglu. So I guess, do you think that kind of played into the maybe underestimating of Glimpt a little bit? Because from what I saw in terms of the reaction, a lot of people were quite shocked by this, weren't they? But I wasn't at all. Do you know what? I thought Celtic looked tired to me. And we talk about how it really should suit them being in the middle of their season, Matt Sharp and Buda Glimt, you know, it's at the start of their campaign, so they're going to be lacking sharpness. 
but Celtic just they just were making tired passes. They were doing things at the side that looked quite fatigued to me. Now they had that great win against Rangers. I'm not, I've known it before sometimes with, with sides that win a really crucial game and they put so much into it. The come down can take about a couple of weeks sometimes, like a hangover almost. I, I kind of sense that a little bit. Um, I, I mean, I saw they kind of laboured to a late win at the weekend against Dundee. Um, so they, they just they were doing things. Vuda Glimpse deserve a lot of credit, but Celtic were were making basic errors in that game. Just simple passes that were going long and and, and that. that kind of they, they certainly were not as sharp as you would think but um yeah there was a lot of expectation they would win this game probably an underestimation you know underestimating Buda Glint again and they pounce it's very hard to face Buda Glint the first time you face them they're so much in your face as Jose Mourinho found out it can take quite a few matches to to get to know them and and how to face their, their system it's it's very awkward yeah and you know in terms of the tail of the, tail of the tape um mm. What was the, you know, Glimpse have got quite a few new players, as we talked about on the last show, as you talked about on the last show um, with, with your guests. Um, how did they fare? And, you know, what's the, who stood out to you in terms of this new look Glimpse? I think Runa Aspiod. I, I liked what I saw from him up front. Um, and he came off in the 67th minute. And if that's how they're going to use him this season, then, then, then great. Because we know he has to be wrapped in cotton wool. We know he's an injury doubt. But when he is sharp and firing, he's a fantastic striker. And if it means that, you know, one game he's going to be on the bench, the next game he sort of plays for an hour. If he's scoring goals, no one's going to care. But he looked immediately straight right at home in the team for me. And Bryce Wenmangomo, uh, right footer at left back, he was allowed to cut in field. He was basically playing an inverted fullback role. By uh, Celtic just let him cut in field on his, on his strong foot and he was given a lot of freedom. And I just I have no idea why they didn't just keep him on his weak left foot and, and box him in uh, but there seemed to be no strategy against him he actually had a pretty good debut he, he caught the eye and I know a lot of Celtic fans were, were very impressed with Wemman Gomo but really midfield they just dominated Vettelson was strong as well really the whole team put in a heck of a shift even no one had a weak game even the goalkeeper Nikita Haikin was distributing balls superbly I guess you know Pellegrino always stands out because he scored a goal you know his technical flair but for me Probably Wembangomo, Espiord, and and Vettelson, they, they were the three standout players. Yeah, in terms of tail of the tape, it was uh, Espiord in the seventh minute, uh, Amar Pellegrino, our man Pellegrino in the fifty-fifth minute. Celtic then got one back through Maeda uh, before Vettelson, as you mentioned there, in the eighty-first minute, made it three-one. I mean, that's a massive um, task for Celtic to turn around now, um, going to Glimp. Do you think they can do it, or how do you expect it to go from here? <sighs> Yeah, from now I would expect Buda Glimp to to convert that into uh, in, into progression to the next round. It's going to be really hard for Celtic going up to Aspermira Stadium. Only one team, only two teams have won up there in the last two years, and one was one was in the Champions League, Lecce Warsaw. That will give Celtic crumb of comfort and Molde with the other side. But it's an absolute fortress of a stadium, plastic pitch. It's going to be up north. I've not actually checked the weather forecast, but it's not going to be very warm. Um, you know, that probably won't bother Celtic as much as, as the pitch will. But really, Celtic have got to improve a lot from last week and they've got to get to grips with this Buda Glimp system. They've got to match them for their uh, energy and um, they can't put in a tired display again. And I think the manager, Ange uh, Pasacoglu, has got to definitely think about some strategies, how to 
either limit certain players or try and put the pressure on on certain players it's gonna be really difficult now for celtic to, to turn that around i still think we i don't i actually don't think we can't underestimate celtic they clearly are a, a decent side right now we saw the rangers result in europe against uh, dortmund it might be that both their old firm sides right now are kind of feeding off each other a bit there's a strong title race i've always said a scottish league is much better when there's it's a closed battle and um I don't think we can completely underestimate Celtic, but with a 3-1 advantage, you've got to think Chesilton will come up with a strategy uh, to get them through, hopefully, to the next round now. But as I say, it's a shame away goals don't count. You are a little bit of a... You are a bit of a, you know... You're not Celtic's biggest fan, are you? So I think you're, you know, you're quite happy about the outcome of that last game. What's your prediction for the game? Well, I think it'll be a draw. Um, I could see something like a 2 all draw. I, I certainly think there'll be goals in this game. Um, Celtic are not going to go uh, down without a fight. But Buda Glimps clearly have still got goals in them again. And we know, you know, at home, they are very, very strong. It's, uh, I actually think I'll be, I would be very, very impressed with Celtic if uh, they came and, and got a result that enabled them to progress now. I think it would be a heck of an away display at a difficult location. But so I think there'll be goals. I think they um it's like a two all draw would, would, would make sense. Um at some point if if Celtic are sort of chasing the game, say Celtic are two one up or something, then they have to get another goal. And you know, there'll be chances for Buda Glimt on the counter attack at the other end to score and they, they they like to do that. So I think it'd be a good game to watch. Um and uh yeah, draw a high scoring draw. So that means Glimp to go through potentially, which will be mm. a, a big achievement. Um, fantastic stuff. I mean, and where can we watch it? When is it? When is it on? Yeah, it's an early kickoff this time. I think it's something like five forty-five UK time, and it will be on uh, BT Sport in the UK. I'm not sure about other parts of the the, uh, the world or Europe, but uh, here an earlier kickoff time in the cold Arctic Circle, and uh, I'm sure there'll be all eyes on it. Really. Great stuff. And I think that's where we'll leave it mm. for Norway today. I think we're going to, um, Denmark's going to be one of our main focuses on the show, isn't it? Is there any, any other business you wanted to pick up on before we move on to? Well, I think uh, we've got to talk a bit about Sweden um, in terms of the Swedes. Cause it always starts very early, doesn't it, Jonathan, up there? I must say, I don't know how some of these sides get away with it, really, with the, with the temperatures. But uh, the first round of group matches has taken place. There's eight groups. The top team in each group goes through to the quarterfinals. So, uh, what's, uh, were there any particular results in this uh, round that caught your eye? Do you know what? Not, not really. Um, I can't believe it's. I can't believe it's already Swedish Cup time. By the way, I have to say, uh, it feels like December end of the season was like yesterday. To be honest, I can't believe it's, it's mid-Feb already. Um, but yeah, the, you know, Swedish Cup is always the sort of curtain raiser towards the season. There's still a month six weeks till the season begins in, in, in Osvenskan. But of course, the cup is kind of the pre-season prelude at this stage, you know, the group stages of the cup. Um, in terms of results, it's not, I mean, there wasn't anything that's particularly massively caught my eye. I think in, in later weeks to come, we'll look at sort of transfers and things like that, which is, you know, um, we're going to ask sort of um, Henry to name some game-changing transfers. And I think we'll do similar things um, in, in the weeks to come in Sweden and Norway. But, uh, you know, if I read through some of the results, obviously Saturday we had AIK beat Orgrit 2-0, Elfsborg beat Gifsundsvall, newly promoted Gifsundsvall 3-2, uh, Skiliboeskor 
lost 6-1 to Degafors, so that's a big win for Degafors. Uh, Varberg boys beat Solentuna. Uh, no shopping during one all with Osters. That was a bit of a maybe a disappointment for for no shopping there. Um, and then some other results as well to keep an eye on uh, that, that happened. Sorry, Malmo beat guys five one, which is you know pretty much to be expected. Varnamo newly promoted. We'll be talking about them a lot this season. They they won two one Angerholms. Uh, Odebro nil nil with Eskilmina, which was a bit of a you know bit of a res- shock result for Odebro. Obviously they've been relegated. Um, Yuta Hogdal nil, Hacken 13. Uh, an incredible score. Oh, really? <laughs> 13. One is one of those ones where you've got brackets one three. Uh, and Benny Troyer hat trick, by the way. Gustav Bergon got two. Um, it would take me about half an hour to read all the goal scores. A few new players as well popping up with goals. Um, but Ita Hogdal, you know, they're quite a low, low ranking side, to be honest. Um, they've done well to get to the group stages. Uh, they have a lot of English players, by the way. They, they have like an exchange program where they bring players from England quite often. Um, from a, the, They have like a sort of programme for released players in England to come over. So they do tend to have a lot of English players on their side. Um, but yeah, they've taken a, taken a pasting there. Uh, Hammerby 2, Falkenberg 1. Uh, Sylvia 0, Sirius 3. Kalmar 2, Trelleborg 1. EF Core beat Lanskrona Boys 2-0. Mialby Norby 0-0. So Mialby getting the clean sheets again, as always. Uh, and then in today's games, I caught a little bit of uh, your garden against uh, Braga. They won one nil, uh, and Victor Edvardson, the big new signing, obviously came from Degerfors. Your garden have, have won the race to sign him, uh, and he's got his sort of um, one of his first official goals. So that's about it. I mean, there's nothing, you know. The group stage is team. Some teams sort of play, you know, they experiment. Uh, they don't necessarily play their full strength team at this stage. It's kind of experimenting depending on the strength of the opponent, but. You know, it's always good to get through to the latter stage and then maybe look once the season starts to get to the final. But uh, yeah, that was about it. So um, nothing really major caught my eye there. As you can see, not too many upsets. I didn't realise they played cricket in Sweden. Um, <laughs> that's a cricket score, isn't it? I'm just looking at this. Uh, it's a, it's a Hogdals. And the qualification for this round actually takes place back in the in the summer, I do believe, from last year. And they... They did well to to get to this uh, stage, like uh, like like you said, they beat a side called uh, Vasilans, who did they get a promotion or something? I can't remember last season, but that, back in August, that was a very good win for them. But to lose thirteen nil at home, uh, I mean, it's disappointing, isn't it? Let's just just say the least. And Swedish Cup, that is ongoing for the next uh, few weeks. Um, I, I like that idea. Uh, the cup happens before the league gets teams up to sharpness we actually got norwegian cup coming up very soon as well um in uh just a bit of a one-off this year due to the schedule in i think mid-march so uh yeah and there's also of course the old finnish cup has to get a mention every now and then as well Jonathan. so it's very much <laughs> cup <laughs> have, you been, have you been watching any of it no i've i need to i need to check up on my uh, on the old uh Suomi Cup, is it? I forget how they uh, they say it now. The uh, but I think it's been ongoing. So, in fact, actually, quite a few matches have been going on. I mean, a lot of these games are played indoors in uh, in uh, Finland, of course. That's how they uh, get these matches uh, done early in the season. But uh, Honker are top of their group at the moment. HJK and uh, SJK as well. So, yes. Um, in, in terms of the rest of this episode, we've got a big interview coming up next with uh, Jordan Gardner. Henry uh, in Denmark is interviewing him. And then after that, we were also talking big Superliga transfers and stuff with Henry. So, yeah, for the rest of this episode, we're very much uh, into that Danish zone, John. 
we certainly are. And um, let's get into it, I guess. I'm looking forward to the interview. And I guess we're back now for 2022. We'll have more episodes to come. Uh, so it's a, it's a little introduction from us. But yeah, Cup, Swedish Cup, obviously Conference League. There's a lot going on at the moment. But uh, one of the main talking points in our region at the moment is the return of of uh, the Super League after a long break. So let's take it away with this interview. Okay, I'm delighted to be joined on the Nordic Football Pod today uh, by Jordan Gardner, owner and chairman of FC Helsingor, who are going great guns in the Danish First Division at the moment. Jordan, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, really, really great to be able to to get um, insight from a from an an, an owner of a club. Um, I, I, I guess one of the questions that has sort of been burning through my mind is can you talk us through how you how did you land on on I guess on Helsingor and on Denmark in general and were there other sort of countries or clubs you were considering because um this isn't your first investment in a football club yeah it's a it's a good question obviously uh the landscape has changed uh it'll be three years uh next month that we've been in Denmark and I think there's been a lot of interest from foreign investment from Americans coming to Denmark certainly since we've been there um, I had just mutual connections in European football who were starting to look at markets kind of outside the big five. Um, and Denmark kind of popped up as a market where, you know, the quality of football was very high. The national team was starting to do well. Um, it was a little bit of an easier place to do business because, you know, everyone speaks English for the most part in Denmark. And so I visited uh, Denmark. This must have been in the fall of 2018. And I really enjoyed my time there. I I went to a lot of different games, met with a lot of different clubs, and um, so kind of started my journey down, uh, you know, Danish football. And we, we did look at a couple different clubs at that time. We looked at a club that was in the Superliga. Uh, we looked at two different clubs in the first division. And the reason we landed on Helsinger, you know, I've, I've talked about this publicly, is, you know, it, it's a relatively new club, but it has a, has a good history. It's been in the Superliga, was in the Superliga four years ago. Um, had a new stadium open uh, coming, which opened in the the summer of 2019, and um, you know it's a club geographically that's close to Copenhagen, which makes things a lot easier from an investment perspective and a player recruitment perspective. And so, kind of checked a lot of boxes for us. Um, you know, I think the other clubs we looked at also had pros and cons. We looked at some clubs out in Jutland, which I think um, we can certainly talk about. I think there's positives of owning a club out there and and, and downsides, but. Ultimately, we've been very happy with the, the choice. It's worked out for us for a variety of reasons. And uh, yeah, things are going well. Mm. And um, I mean, I've, I've never bought a club myself, uh, but I'd imagine it's a bit like buying a secondhand car where you, you only really know the real picture of what's under the hood once you've paid your money. Um, was that your experience? Yeah, I mean, there's only so much due diligence you can do ahead of time, especially when you're buying a club that's not particularly professional. So you know, when we bought... FC Helsinger was owned by a freening, which uh, is like an association, like a nonprofit organization. And, you know, it was not the most professionally run business. And so, yes, I think there was a lot of things that kind of came out of the woodwork after we bought the club that um, were definitely uh, things that we didn't know about. But that is how it goes when you're doing a M&A transaction and probably any business. You do as much homework ahead of time as you possibly can and try to understand what you're getting yourself into. But ultimately, there's only so much you can do. You know, the challenge we had was, the club was really on a downward trajectory when we bought it. It was nearly, uh, it was just about to get relegated for the second time. And so having this be the first project, you know, I had made other investments in European football, but much smaller. And and this being the first controlling interest of a club and kind of jumping into a club that really was in a free fall was not a fun experience. But ultimately it worked out for us. And, you know, certainly 
doing, you know, going into the future, understanding what it takes to be successful in European football. I think going through that experience was a net positive for us. Hmm. Are, are you able to to talk about like what the biggest surprise was that you found? I mean, the biggest surprise for me was just the lack of professionalism, I think, at the club. And this doesn't just doesn't go for our club at that time. But, you know, across European football, whether it's uh, the way, you know, clubs hire people or recruit players or the day to day management of clubs, some of these clubs are not professional. And I kind of just shake my head at the way they're run. I think that that is a net positive for groups like ours who try to do things a little bit differently. And, you know, we're not the highest spending team in the world. Certainly, we're one of the lowest spending teams and we're able to do things a little bit more efficiently and. It just, you know, you look at the landscape, whether you say this player was signed for this amount of money or this club was bought in this country, I think going from a macro level in the industry all the way down to this individual club, that that was really surprising to me. You just kind of assume, or I assumed on the outside looking in, all these clubs are run well, you watch the games on television and the stadiums are full and everything looks good and kind of behind the curtains, most of these clubs are, are not run particularly well. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can certainly attest to that. Um, yeah. but, what, what does almost like the, I guess the the five or the ten year plan look like for you? Like that, this isn't going to be um, an investment you're holding in fifty years time, for example. So, like, what's what what are you trying to achieve with it, and and where do you kind of see an exit point? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know we're kind of ahead of plans. Honestly, we you know our first goal was to stabilize the club, get the club back up to the first division, which we we did quite quickly. Um, the next goal was to kind of aim towards a promotion push to the Superliga within probably three to four years. And we've done that in one season. So, you know, I think looking forward, it's hard to know what the future looks like. You know, for us, it's obviously in the short term, get to the Superliga. Can we stabilize? Can, can we replicate maybe what a club like Superliga, or sorry, Superliga, uh, Silkeborg or uh, Viborg has done this year where they've come up from the first division and they're both mid to upper table teams right now. You know, beyond that, it's really hard to tell. I don't, you know, being realistic, Helsinger is not a huge club. It's not going to compete with Bromby and Copenhagen. It's, that's just not realistic. So I think it's just doing the best we can. You know, we have a lot of good, young, talented players. And so I think really kind of focusing on our um, player sales model, which is something we've talked about for a long time, I think will be a key for us in the next three to five years. So I think a combination of stability in the Superliga and really churning out some good player sales is probably the best best case scenario for us. Yeah, and, and and I have to say the last couple of transfer windows have seen um, transfer values, you know, rocket in in terms of exits from the Superliga. You know, we've seen like several transfers north of of ten million. So, I think outside of outside of Denmark, there's there's a sort of growing recognition of the the quality of the league and the the players that are developed there. Yeah, and I, it's not even just that. I think it's um, you know a lot of a lot of uh, people look at a lot of countries and players move abroad quite a bit, but. The players from Denmark moving abroad now are actually having a lot of success in a lot of leagues. You see uh, players moving to Germany, to Holland, to all these leagues. So I think absolutely for us, it's, you know, can we move these players abroad, particularly from the Superliga? You know, we've had opportunities to move players abroad from our, where we're at currently, but it's more to other Scandinavian countries, Sweden, Norway. And for us, you know, it makes more sense to keep to, to hang on to the players, you know, stabilize ourselves in the Superliga and then move them on to bigger leagues. So I think... Absolutely, to your point, reputationally, Danish football and Danish footballers are becoming more and more valuable, and I think that's only going to grow. Hopefully, after the national team continues to do well, coming up with the World Cup and, and the Super League continues to grow. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned um, Silkeborg and Viborg because I was going to I was going to ask you about those because both of them are, you know, I, I guess they're they're both in the mix for for being in the the championship group when the league splits in four games time. <clears throat> And both of them have have really 
not, not uh, kind of not entered into the transfer market that heavily. There's still quite a lot of squad cohesion. Is that um, is that something that that kind of gives you cause for uh, for optimism? Absolutely. I think Silkeborg in particular, they play a very similar style to we do. They they have a, a stadium where the, the surface is artificial. They play very like a high pressing ball possession style, which is very similar to ours. Um, I think, you know, we, we, we played those two, two teams, I think four times last year in the first division. And while they both finished ahead of us on the table, I think we were quite competitive. So, yeah, I mean, I think when you talk about the continuity of those rosters, you're right. They've made minimal moves in terms of spending big bucks on the transfer market. I think, um, that's been our success point in terms of keeping a cohesive, cohesive roster together for the last two, two and a half years. That doesn't mean immediately tomorrow for in the super league, it's not going to be difficult. Um, but I think the, the good news that we have, and I think you've seen that with the two clubs you mentioned, is the players are growing with the squad. So you're seeing a, a good young talent base of players who are very, very good first division players who are growing into becoming very, very good Super League players. And I think that's a model that we can replicate, hopefully. Mm. How, how do you manage that, you know, with successive promotions um, or, or I guess potential promotion? Um, how do you manage that sort of squad cohesion and um, and the, the personalities and the relationships that being forged with the sort of step up in skill level as you progress? Yeah, I think um, like first off, I think it starts of having a really good culture in the locker room. And I think our sporting side led by our, our, our manager, Morton Eskison, he's built fantastic culture. So it's not a situation where I think a lot of clubs, they treat players like expendable assets. And it's, it's, it's the case where, okay, we just got promoted. You're not good enough. We're going to throw you to the curb and, and we're going to go find someone else. Well, yeah, I mean, we might have players that we don't today evaluate as super legal level players, but you know, instead of just getting rid of them and trying to buy someone else in the transfer market, why don't we find a way to get those players we have currently to be better, to improve, to fit in our system to a point where we can we can use them and, and get the most out of them in a higher level. So I think it's definitely built on culture. I mean, uh, Ken Nielsen, who's the manager at Silkeborg, I think he's done a fantastic job with this. It's about elevating those current players you have to playing at the higher level and not necessarily just assuming you can fix everything just going out in the transfer market. That's not to say every window we haven't improved and made strategic uh, signings in the transfer market, but you know, for us, we don't pay large transfer fees. We, we basically don't pay transfer fees. So we have to find players out of contract, players who are dissatisfied with their current clubs. And so we can't necessarily rely on just filling a whole new roster of players from the transfer market. So we have to focus on the current roster we have. And to the credit of our, our squad and our organization, we've done quite a good job at that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I mean, I think one of the, one of the real um, strengths of the, the current squad is that, uh, it's still got a, a, a very um, uh, a very strong Danish presence. You know that there's uh, uh, it, it, fe it feels very much like it's still adhering to the the kind of the culture of the club before you bought it. In that sense, yeah. I mean, I've talked about this publicly a lot. You know, we had we had a focus coming into FC Helsinki to bring in a lot of foreign players, bring in American players in particular. And for the first, I would say three to six months, we brought in a lot of foreign players and we realized it just, it, it didn't work. The The level of the players just wasn't high enough. They didn't understand the league and the culture. And so we transitioned very quickly to having a roster that's a majority of domestic players. And I think that's been a big key to our success. Our coach is Danish, our sporting director is Danish. Most of our players are Danish and even our foreign players, we have a couple of kids from New Zealand. They've been in Denmark for three years now. So they're start, they've learned the language. They've integrated quite well. Um, so that's not to say that you can't take a different approach and have success, but I, I find it very difficult to believe you look at Viola in the Super League, uh, you look at Yammerbug as a team in our division, 
who's just stocked full of 85% foreign players. And those clubs are, they're just really struggling to bring in a bunch of foreign players. You have to really know what you're doing. I think FC Michelin has quite a few Brazilians, but they spend a lot of time and energy and money on making sure those Brazilians integrate into the squad, into the, the footballing culture quite well. So I think, I think for us, it was kind of somewhat by necessity when we got relegated right after we bought the club down to the second division, we felt it was really important to bring in staff and players who had been in the lower divisions of Danish football before and who knew what it took to be successful to get out of those divisions. And obviously it was very, very difficult to get out. We were, we were in the second division for one season when it was the one year where only one club got promoted out of 24. Mm. And so putting aside the challenges of in any league getting promoted, just one out of 24 is a really difficult challenge. And so I think we've taken the momentum out of a mostly domestic roster in the second division and just kind of built on that. And we don't, we don't like by necessity in, in, in each window say we're only going to recruit Danish players. But for us, if we're going to bring in a foreign player, that player has to be significantly better than a domestic player that we can get. Yeah, absolutely. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, what, what were the, I mean, what were the sort of biggest cultural differences you found um, sort of in, in Denmark compared to uh, compared to America? I mean, I think, look, I mean, Denmark's a socialist country. I think running a business in a country like Denmark is very, very different from the United States. I think that definitely took an adjustment period for us. I think, you know, the footballing culture, you know, I had been involved in European football before, so that wasn't too much of a shock, but obviously the sporting culture in North America versus Scandinavia is very different, whether it's things like promotion and relegation, the domestic player transfer market, the kind of the mentality of the Danish player. I think that that's all taken an, an adjustment period for us. But I mean, the good news is I spent quite a bit of time in Denmark. It's been three years now. So, you know, I, I don't want to say we have it all figured out, but I think we've, we've found a way to kind of merge our American way of thinking while trying to be as respectful as possible to Danish culture. And certainly it, it's two sides of a coin, right? It's running a business in a foreign country, which is, you know, the stuff behind the scenes, but it's also the footballing culture in that country. And you know, what are the, what's the style of plays that work? What kind of players are successful in Denmark? What kind of players can adjust to things like uh, the weather and the winter and, you know, the way things are in that country. And I think it took some time, but we've been able to crack that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, how much of, the, how much of your, um, uh, you, 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 you feel like a very involved owner at the moment and um, a very sort of visible presence. Do you see that, uh, do you see that sort of being the the case going forward, or or can you see yourself kind of taking a backseat as things bed in over time, and 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 the sort of the processes and the the things that you put in place start to um, start to sort of run themselves? I mean, I think the good news is probably after the first year. The first year was really kind of triage in terms of putting a lot of fires out and making sure all the bills were getting paid and things were really um, things were not great with the club for the first year. But since then, it's been. Uh, much more about culture building in terms of me being hands-on. I think, you know, I, I do think on one hand, um, absentee ownership just doesn't work in European football. I think Americans that buy clubs and never show their faces or no one knows who they are or what they're about, that's really challenging. And I haven't seen a model in that sense that that that, that has worked. Um, but on the other side, I think it's also important that you hire people that are really good at what they do, whether that's a sporting director or CEO or uh, coach, and you kind of, you don't want to micromanage them. I think the clubs that the owners are too hands-on can be problematic as well. Mm. So for me, I really try to kind of weave that balance. I personally think it's really important to have um, close coordination between the day-to-day -day business of the club and the board level. And that's why I spend a lot of time. But for me, 
you know, when I'm over in Denmark now, cause the club's in a really good place, it's spending time with the coaching staff. It's, you know, taking our, our manager and our sporting director out to dinner. It's, you know, getting to know the players a little bit more, making sure our staff is, is things are going well with our staff. It's much more about culture building than anything else. And I think it's like running any other business. If, if you're an employee in a business, you want to, you want to know where this business is going and who you're working for and why you're working for it, where we're all going. And so I think that's, that's been really important to our staff. It's a little bit of an intangible thing in terms of me just being there, but I think having someone to, you know, from an ownership perspective, being there and showing that they care and being active on social media, I think, you know, I, I interact with some of the players occasionally just being like, Hey, I saw you score three goals in that game. That's fantastic. Really, really great to see that nothing invasive, but something that they know that they're supportive, they're supported and the ownership group is watching and is really interested in what they're doing. Yeah. No, I, I, as an Arsenal fan, that's music to my ears because um, I know a thing <laughs> or two about absentee owners. Yeah. I mean, it's for, look, I mean, you, you bring it our, up Arsenal and obviously the scale of some clubs is much, much bigger than what we're doing in Denmark, but you know, I, I can I can definitely relate to people that get frustrated by ownership that, uh, you know, I don't know whether they're necessarily just absentee, which is part of it. But you know, for me, my philosophy with ownership at a football club, whether that's when I'm talking to the fans or our staff or anyone else is, look, I want to be very upfront and transparent about the decisions we're making, whether you might not agree with the decisions we make, uh, but at least you can respect them and I'll be open and honest and uh, accessible to answer your questions. And as long as you respect that we own the club at the end of the day, and we're going to make decisions that we think are best. I think a lot of times ownership groups in European football, they hide, they hide and they're just not accessible. And then decisions come down and no one knows what the hell's going on. And I think that's just really problematic and frustrating for everyone involved. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. I wanted to ask, and I, I know it's, uh, I know it's, um, uh, jumping the gun a bit perhaps, but if you do reach the super league, um, what will change? You know, can, can you sort of break down what it will mean economically and from a sporting perspective if, if you do make it? Yeah, I mean, we're starting to obviously think about that, knock on wood. We, ha we have to, you always have to con contingency plan in European football in terms of if we do go up, this is what that would look like. If we don't go up, this is what it'll look like. Um, you know, honestly, we don't want to change a lot. I mean, I think, of course, our organization will build up a little bit. Uh, we'll have to add a little bit of staff. I think, of course, we'll be looking to add one or two or three players in the summer transfer window. But beyond that, I think, again, like I said earlier, I think the success we have is ha have had over the last couple of years has been the continuity of the organization. And I think we want to keep that up through the Super League. Uh, there's no incentive for us to blow up our budgets or spend a lot of money or do anything crazy because that, that just hasn't worked for us. Um, so I don't honestly see a lot changing for us in the Super League. Of course, the revenues go up quite significantly, whether it's television or, or game day or sponsorship. So that certainly will help the health of the organization. But for us, it's continuing to run a, a professional and a stable business and being smart about the way we make decisions. So I don't see a ton changing, to be honest. And if you if you if you do make it sort of ahead of plan, does the does the ambition um, shift to to trying to sort of get a place in uh, in one of the European competitions? I don't think that's realistic for us in the short term. I mean, of course, that would be fantastic and amazing, but. I think the financial resources of the teams in the top four to five to six in the Superliga are are exorbitant compared to the financial resources that we put into the club. So I don't think that's realistic. I think for us, it would just be stabilizing ourselves. And you know, can we, with one of the lowest budgets in the Superliga, be a competitive club to finish top six? Can we just stay up? I think those are all realistic goals mm. for us. I mean, we're we're in the bottom third of player spending right now in the first division. You know, if we kind of keep that model together and do something similar in the Superliga. 
it'll be a challenge for us to stay up, but I think it's doable and realistic. So I think it's all just for us about being realistic. And, you know, honestly, every time I set a goal for our club, um, our, you know, our first goal was stabilizing the first division. Then we finished in fourth place in the promotion group. This year, the goal was to maybe realistically be competitive for promotion at some point while we're in first place going into the winter break. So I think every time I set a goal, we, we kind of exceed that. So you never know what the future holds. Great. <laughs> Must be exciting. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've read a lot about the sort of the things that you've brought to Helsingor in terms of like optimization on and off the pitch and things like the uh, the P motion injury prevention uh, platform mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But I, but I wondered, do you have any thoughts for how the 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 league as a whole could improve to to sort of to get more attention outside of of Denmark? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I look at the Super League in particular, and I say there's clubs up there without naming them, uh, maybe outside the top three that you say these are big clubs that can and should be doing a lot better with the resources they have. You know, I think that Danish clubs, for the most part, do quite a good job of developing and selling players. So I don't think that's the issue. But you see some clubs, I mean, maybe Odense, Alborg, these kind of clubs and AGF, these are big clubs. Mm. And you kind of look at the recruitment strategies and you look at the results and you say, wow, I mean, they're, they're spending X amount of money and they're finishing eighth in the Superliga. They should be a lot better than that. So I think... You know, I think the depth of the Superliga can be better in terms of outside Bromby, Copenhagen, and Michelin. I think you can see, you know, you see what Reinders is doing on on a relatively low wage structure. I think it's really impressive what they're doing. I mean, Alborg is having a good season, but there are definitely perennial large clubs that I think can be doing a better job. You know, without knowing the internal workings of them, I think that's that more comes down to just player recruitment. Uh, professionalization, the way these, these, these businesses are run. I think beyond that, I mean, I think the league's in quite a good shape. Um, I think now that COVID is starting to kind of hopefully be in the rearview mirror, you see crowds coming back, you see, you see the excitement of the league. So I think things are in a good place generally, but I just think there are certain clubs that could be doing a better job. Yeah. I think that that's a great point about crowds because I think that it makes, um, makes such a big difference to the, the, the products, if we call it that. But um, w whenever I'm sort of uh, doing the rounds, trying to encourage people I know to watch the league, it helps so much if there's an atmosphere and, you know, the choreography and and um, flares and stuff like that. It just it it's uh, it's unbelievable how 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 much it kind of uh, affects the enjoyment just from uh, from watching on TV. I'll tell you what I think is actually really interesting is um, the Super League has now picked up on a, a streaming site called Eleven Sports. They have the domestic right or the international rights to the Super League here in the U.S. and uh, I've been watching a lot recently, including today I watched the Vibor game, and they don't pick up on the audio feed from Denmark, I guess, because they figure people can't speak Danish, so they're not going to listen to the audio. So all it is is the internal crowd noise of the games, all of them. And I think actually I found that really interesting, especially you know watching FC Copenhagen yesterday. I think there were 25,000 fans of that game. You're kind of just feeling that atmosphere on the live stream, I think is something that's that's really interesting to an international audience. We've talked to the division who runs the leagues about the first division and, you know, there's, there's no international streaming or no international rights whatsoever for the first division, which of course is a bit frustrating for us because we do have supporters internationally, both in the U S and then in places like New Zealand where we have some players. So, you know, I hope hopefully over the coming years, the league can start thinking a little bit more uh, big picture about, you know, getting the rights out there more globally. I think there's, yeah, let's be honest, the bottom of the first division isn't super exciting to watch, but there's definitely matches when we're playing Lingby, when it's, you know, Horsens against Fredericia. Like, these are good games. These are, especially because there's only 12 teams in the Superliga, you go to the top of the first division. I'd like to see those games more accessible to an international audience if possible. 
Yeah, I, I, I think I remember reading that the Superliga international rights are packaged up with uh, seven or eight other leagues. And so in order to get it, you have to buy all of them. Um, and so I think that's why there was a bit of a struggle for um, for there to be coverage. So I'm, I'm very grateful that there's some coverage now, but um, I j- just hope that it continues. Yeah, exactly. And do you see... Um, do you see that there being a potential to, uh, to to sort of build an international fan base for, for Helsingor, or, or albeit you know not on the scale of of the the big four? But can you see people in America um, starting to get interested with, with with it on TV if you if you make it into the league? Yeah, I mean, I think if we're uh, you know a sustainable Super League team over a period of years and the games are accessible to, to watch, I mean. What's challenging a bit is the time difference. You know, luckily, I don't know how it's going to work, how it would work in the Superliga with the television deal. But in the first division, we're able to play our home games on Friday nights in Denmark, which is in the morning in uh, in the U.S., which is accessible. But we have games that are at three o'clock in the morning, right? Four o'clock in the morning yeah. out in California. So that can be difficult. Um, but I don't think it's impossible. I think you know, if we were to bring in uh, American players at a national team level, that certainly would create a lot of buzz and excitement. I think again. We have two players out of New Zealand on their national team. So I think that could be a possibility. We have a kid from Syria who's on their national team. So I think it's from an international audience, it's more about what's the hook. Um, are there players that are interesting to an international audience? I don't necessarily think an American audience is just randomly going to get excited about FC Helsinger unless they know me personally or follow me on social media and like what we're doing, which is certainly possible. But um, yeah, I think it, I think we'll get a better sense next year. You know, Hopefully, knock on wood, we're in the Super League and the games are more accessible on streaming. Brilliant, awesome. Well, yeah, I, I'm I'm watching very closely to see uh, to see whether you make it. Um, and I've been very encouraged by by what you've been putting together this season. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully this time next year we can be uh, talking again as a uh, as a Super League owner. Yeah, knock on wood. I mean, uh, for us, it's just you know I don't want to say it's all icing on the cake, but for us, you know, two promotions in three years in whatever league and whatever level it is would just be a remarkable accomplishment. I think. Being able to play at Parkin, being able to play at Bromby Stadium, I think would be incredibly exciting for our organization and our players and our staff. And so, uh, yeah, hopefully, knock on wood, we'll we'll be there and happy to chat anytime. Brilliant. And I I, I guess just finally, I get people mm-hmm. reaching out to me from time to time asking who they should support in Denmark. Um, what would be your sales pitch to them? Yeah, I mean, I think we play a very, very attractive style of football, high press, high possession. Um, we have a lot of good young players, several of whom are, will hopefully be in the World Cup come uh, the winter. So I think, you know, I, you know I can, obviously I can't compare it to Copenhagen or Bromby or, or kind of that level. But if you're looking outside the top tier of teams in Denmark, we're definitely kind of the scrappy underdog, um, doing things a little bit smarter, a little bit more efficiently. And I think that's uh, that's attractive to a lot of people. Awesome. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Jordan. Uh, we really, really appreciate it and wish you the best of luck for the rest of the season. Hopefully, uh, hopefully your boys can get the job done. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Great interview. That was Jordan Gardner on the Nordic Football Podcast. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, Henry, I think that went rather well. He, uh, he comes across uh, superbly. Yeah, really, really interesting guy. Um, really interesting uh, model that he's got going on there. And you know, I wish them all the best of luck for the, the rest of the season. I think it'd be great to see them in the Superliga and see if they can continue their, their sort of upwards trajectory. Yeah, we're going to continue with, with Superliga now and welcome back to Jonathan as well. 
uh, to this section. It's um, because we're in a weird position compared to the other Nordic leagues. Uh, this this league runs more conventional for most European seasons. Right in the middle of the campaign, basically, uh, Henry. I think we just had the first round back after uh, of 2022, and you know, there's been some significant transfers in in the winter. We're going to talk about transfers here, and basically ones which which have caught your eye and uh you know there's only one place to start because recently some some massive news came through that jack wilshire is is going to denmark i mean what, what was your initial thoughts there yeah i mean i guess firstly surprise um uh that there'd not even been any rumors about it and then uh, there he was in a in a an agf shirt so um yeah i guess surprise but you know, also as a as an Arsenal fan, I, I was extremely excited to see him uh, come to the the, the Superliga and, and test himself there. Um, I think it will bring some eyeballs from from the UK as well. Uh, and you know, um, come for Jack Wilshire, stay for the extremely exciting football. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm just really excited to see how it pans out. I think he obviously hasn't played competitive football um, for a little while, um, but when he's at his best he's a phenomenal talent he's still only 30. i think we sort of think of him as older than that because he broke through at 16 years old but um yeah still only 30 lots to offer and i think that his um sort of very tenacious uh quite aggressive um style and technique suits the sort of football uh, agf play really well um and he's got some very talented players to, to gel with so yeah <laughs> Super excited to see how that pans out. I think he's supposed to be making his debut on Friday. Henry, I mean, you know, this is, uh, you know, you've been commenting and, and sort of tweeting about the transfers throughout the last, you know, few months or a few weeks without without the Superliga. Would you say that this kind of blew you out of the water? Would it say, you know, I guess that ranks as your number one, but how eye-catching was it for you to, to see that compared to the other transfers you've seen, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, it... it uh, I, th I think there was a general feeling that this has been one of the one of the craziest transfer windows that the Super League has ever seen in terms of incomings and outgoings. Um, and just, I mean, we're going to talk about some of the names, but um, uh, just throwing out there, you know, Wagner Love, for example. Uh, I mean, who would have thought this guy would, would be ending up in the Super League? I mean, we've just got some real throwback names, some, some um, unexpected transfers. Uh, there was, you know, twists and turns. So, I should have known better than to think that it was all over once the window shut <laughs> because out of nowhere came free agent Jack Wilshire. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that definitely raises the profile of the league, like you said. I mean, uh, you know, looking at the table at the moment, you know, you've got FC Copenhagen top, Michelin second, one point between them, Bromby three points behind as well, just on 33 points. So it's an exciting title race as well, to be fair. Yes, um, it it's it's incredibly close, you know, throughout the league. I guess um, I think specifically for for AGF, there's um, th th there's the looming league split that happens um, in four games time, where the league splits into the championship group, which is the top six, and then the the relegation group, which is the bottom six. But I think what's interesting is that the top team from the relegation group play a um, they play a playoff at the end of the season um, with uh, the fourth place team from the championship group. And so there's, you know, there's a chance that we'll be seeing Jack Wilshire potentially in Europe next season if uh, if AGF remain in that relegation group, but but go on and win it and um, and win the playoffs. So yeah, lots of it ifs and buts, but um, it's an extremely exciting uh, sort of final uh, final half, final third of the season set up. Yeah, incredible stuff. So uh, 
without further ado, uh, Henry, let's let's move on to your sort of uh, other other top transfers of this window. What uh, who, who's on your list? And you know, we ask on this uh, for this episode just to sort of have a, a variation. So hopefully, no more than one from each club. Um, so I guess you've got one already there from from for one team. But who, who would you? Who else has sort of caught your eye? It's been a crazy, um, been a crazy few months in Denmark, isn't it? I, I've been sort of following your tweets, and it seems like. Uh, every every few weeks, as a you know, exciting <laughs> player coming in, uh, yeah. as you just mentioned there. Like, so, who who would you say is your you know? I guess the aim of this with Denmark League coming back is to maybe pick ones that could maybe turn the title race or players who have left that might you know change the course of the title race or relegation. So, from that point of view, you know, what are the important transfers that you've you've picked out that you think could maybe change the course of the season? Yeah, I've I've got. I've got well. Aside from Jack Wilshire, I've got five uh, incoming transfers. Um, I, I I think that we should also uh, talk a little bit about some of the outgoings because I think that there's been some pretty significant ones there. But I think that the five that I'm that I'm going to pick out are um, starting with uh, Max Meyer at, at FC Michelin, and you, you'll be familiar with the name. Uh, mm. You know, he had a very big reputation when he went from Schalke to, to Crystal Palace. Um, you know, he's played several times for the German national team, scored for the German national team. So this is an extremely high-profile player. Uh, and at 26 years old, you know, he's right in his sort of peak years. Um, so I I, th- I think there was a feeling when he went to Palace that, you know, never quite um, never quite reached the, the level they were expecting. Um, I, I think his sort of uh, technical ability requires a, a, a bit of a, a bulldozer next to him to, to sort of give him that protection and, and win the ball. Um, but I think the ceiling, the potential ceiling that he has is, is massive. And I think that with um, uh, Evander perhaps moving on in the summer um, f- f- from Michelin, I think that I think that Maya could be uh, a sort of ready-made replacement. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to, to, to see if he can uh, if he can deliver on that potential. Uh, and you know, Michelin are very much in the in the title race at the moment. Um, they only dropped into second this this last weekend, and I think that that sort of attacking midfield position is is really key for them. So uh, he's one of my ones to watch. He's on he's on loan from Fenerbahce, I do believe, and I'm just looking back at him now. Uh, when he joined Palace, he had a, a market value of 16 million, and that's now dropped to below one million. So it's been a fair fall for him. But, yeah. um, you know, I guess for this league, if he brings back his, his good form, then uh, it'd be a massive weapon. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of um, of uh, Victor Fisher, who obviously started off, had a, a huge uh, profile at, at Ajax, um, made a move to, I think it was Middlesbrough um, in the Premier League, and it didn't work out. And he, he sort of came back to the Superliga with, with FC Copenhagen to, to sort of rebuild his his profile. It feels a little bit like that sort of move for him where where he needs to he needs to show what he can do um uh, in, in a in a big european league Henry, why do you think that um cuz max Meyer, i remember it, you know on just football many years ago he was one of our sort of 10 to watch in the future years uh, a young talent when he was at schalke wasn't it i think and he's also yeah. been at palace as well um why do you think that these sort of players are you know wilshire's quite a similar profile really isn't he it's sort of like you could almost say he's a german wilshire uh, in a way um, in terms of the style of play, isn't it sort of a technical midfielder? Mm. Um, why do you think these sort of players are in sort of uh, gravitating towards Denmark? Is there any any theory you have on that? Um, oh, that's an in- interesting one. I mean, I, I think Michelin have a, a reputation as a very uh, well-run, very well-coached team, where um, it, it, it's almost a you know a, a rising tide. That uh, there aren't many players there who who don't improve as a result of. Um, their time there so 
I think that it's it's a very attractive team from that perspective, very modern uh, sort of coaches, uh, very progressive style of football. Um, and and obviously as one of the one of the sort of um, perennial top two clubs in in the Superliga, they they can offer regular European football. So I, I think that um, as a destination, uh, Michelin makes a lot of sense. And I, th I think the league as a whole, you know, that the, the quality is uh, is on the up. You know, you, you heard from um, from Jordan Gardner um, just the, the 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 even the sort of seventh eighth place teams in in the Superliga now. Um, have have real spending power, real sort of um, uh, quality in the squads. Um, that I, I I can I can I can see the attraction. Yeah, very interesting stuff. So Max Meyer, we've got Jack Wilshire. Who who would you say is next on on your list of maybe game changing transfers? Yeah, I mean, you said only only one per team. That I couldn't decide between uh, between the, the the signings for FC Copenhagen, who who, who made a, a ton of signings. Um, it was really like a, a splurge in the market. Um, so I've gone I've gone for two. Forgive me. Um, first is uh, Kuma Babakar, um, who you may remember coming through as a a, a sort of prodigy at uh, Fiorentina, um, and amazingly. This is only his third permanent move. Um, he, he's, he's, he's done a load of loans over the years. Um, he had a permanent move to Sassuolo, um, but th this, is a, this is a permanent move for him. Um, and he scored on his debut, looked really, really dangerous. And uh, I think that he's going to be the, the, the first choice striker for FC Copenhagen going forward uh, and brings um, that sort of uh, that threat from the centre forward position that that obviously um, has uh, has been missing since uh, Jonas Wind departed. Um, the, the other player for FC Copenhagen, who you will know a lot more than, than me, is um, uh, Akin Kunmi Amu, uh, who who joined from Hammerby um, as w one of uh, a number of exciting wing additions. But um, from everything I've read about him, he's the one to be probably most excited about. Yeah, Moose a really good player. Uh, one that I think we both had in our fantasy team, didn't we, last season, uh, Steve? Um, at various points in the campaign. A uh, very technical Nigerian player. Kind of, I remember describing him earlier in the, in the start of his career at Hammerby as kind of Messi-esque in the way he dribbles. Like a very dynamic dribbler. Um, obviously, it's a bit kind of stereotypical to sort of just bring in Messi, but he, he, he does have that like low centre of gravity, left-footed, really good runner of the, on the ball, um, can jink past the man. I think he's a little bit, there are areas of his game that can improve. So although I was surprised to see him move to Denmark rather than say maybe perhaps a bigger league outside um, outside the region, which was a lot of rumours that, you know, maybe Ajax and teams like that wanted him. I, I do actually think this is quite a good move for him because it's a slightly higher level, but he gets to still continue to maybe iron out those areas of his game that kind of need improvement. I think, I think for example, his choice of passing at times and, and, and also when to dribble, um, you know, sometimes he, he he's not as good going down one side as the other, if that makes sense. So I think there is there are certain areas of his game that he, he can work on. And so I think this is a good move. Yeah, in terms of the title race, I think it could be a massive signing. I mean, there's a lot of hype about uh, a young player called Rooney Bardi, isn't there, Henry? And, and how do you think the two of them will dove, dovetail? Yeah, I think... Um... I, I mean, he's he's been phenomenal in the in the the, the few games he's played so far, um, Rooney. Um, but I think you know we have to be cognizant of the fact he's he's still only sixteen, um, and I think that uh, it's it's natural for a, a player of that age is is not gonna um, is not gonna be able to to sort of uh, 
play the number of games and and keep that level of consistency probably uh, and and sort of handle that that level of pressure for for a sustained period. So I think that although he's um, he's been brilliant, I I'm, I, I just I, I don't want to put too much pressure on the guy. And I think that's why you know since uh, Mohamed Darami left, uh, there's been a real um, uh, there's been a sort of noticeable lack of threat from from the left wing position. Uh, and so um, I think that the the, the, the reinforcements uh, in in the, in the sort of both wing areas really are going to help support the development of Rooney and give that that additional threat. So um, I think that I, I can see him playing a, a big role in the uh, in the title race. This um, this Kuma Babakai has had uh, more loans than Barclays Bank, hasn't he? Just looking back <laughs> at his um, his career, uh, <laughs> goodness me! There's uh, I just want to make a point actually about um, the the league itself in terms of ins and outs. Total uh, transfer expenses this window is an estimated twelve and a half million euros, and it's um, the actual money coming into the league in terms of uh, departures near over sixteen million. So it's, it seems like it's more of a selling league at the moment. Still, this one there is uh, there's certainly been some significant big money departures. Uh, I would actually personally like to ask you about one of them in particular, Henry, and that is Jens Kajust or Kajust. I'm not actually sure the pronunciation there. From Michelin to Stade Rams in France, nine million pound transfer. This uh, this deal. What do you what do you make of him? Yeah, he was one of the um, he was one of the ones to watch that we talked about over the summer. My my infamous ones to watch list that uh, has slowly been gutted as the season goes on. Um, but I, there was some talk around him uh, moving last summer. That the move never really material uh, materialized, and he didn't. He hasn't played a lot this season. I don't know if that's a result of the. Um, the, the potential transfer. Um, I don't know if it was to do with injury, but for whatever reason, he hasn't played much this season. Um, but his talent last season was was pretty obvious to everyone. I know I know that um, I know that that Jonathan has seen a fair amount of him as well. Um, he's just very mature on the ball, um, great eye for a pass, very good close control. Um, just seems uh, a, a very mature player for his age. And I can I can totally see why he uh, why he was able to get a move to one of the the, the big five leagues, nine million euros. I mean, for for a player who hasn't played much this season, I think some people were thinking that's perhaps a bit rich, given um, you know, yeah. Take uh, take Bromby's Jesper Lindstrom for example, who who went to Frankfurt for uh, about six and a half million euros um, in the summer, and I, I think that that feels like that that feels like a. a a very low fee for a player who's, who's producing in the Bundesliga. So, you, you know, I think in, in time, if, if Cahoos delivers on his potential 9 million euros, is going to look like pennies that, that, that they'll get two or three times that. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of the, the Superliga, it is a, a reasonable fee. How, how badly is it going to affect Michelin losing him? Um, I don't think too much. As I said, he he's, he hasn't played that much this season, um, and they, they they have a very strong midfield as it goes. Um, so I think they'll I think they'll they'll manage on. They've uh, they've shown to have a very strong recruitment so far, um, and you know if, if they can if they can make something out of Max Meyer, I think um, that will be uh, money in the bank. Let's move on to your next your next pick then, uh, Henry. So we've got Kumar Babakar. Kunkumi Amu, we've got Max Meyer, we've got Jack Wilshire. Who, who else is on your list? Yeah, I thought I'd bring in a couple more defensive-minded um, 
transfers to, to look out for. I, I, I know it's it's probably more eye catching to pick attacking players, but um, I've gone for uh, I've I've gone for someone uh, from the Norwegian league actually, um, a, uh, a a guy who has uh, I believe dual nationality, uh, New Zealand and England, um, defensive midfielder called Joe Bell, uh, who signed for Bromby. And he replaces um, the outgoing Morten Frendrup, um, who left for, I think it was about 4 million euros to Genoa, and sort of slots in um, straight away alongside uh, Slimane and um, Radosevic in, in that midfield. Uh, he looks a really interesting pro- uh, prospect. He's got, he's got this sort of like shaggy hair sort of throwback look. Um, and uh, it's just a really, really engaging player. And I know that... Um, Certainly, uh, across Twitter, lots of Bromby fans were saying, "You know, this is uh, this is the signing of the window." So he's certainly one to look out for. I, I know Steve probably has um, has seen him play a, a lot more ninety minutes than I have. Yeah, disappointed to see him go from Norway. I mean, I expected he would leave. I think what really deflates me is that they've signed him for actually less than a million pounds, according to transfer marks anyway. And I think that's pretty much validated. Uh, by uh, the clubs at the time, I, I thought he would go for at least three million, if not more. Um, but uh, I mean, they've got an absolute snip here of Bronby. They really have a fantastic midfielder who can do pretty much anything, any sort of role in the middle, middle of the park there. And he's still a young lad at 22, and he'll develop. It's a good move for the player, I think. It's a moving to the Superliga, and obviously a good move for for Brunby. So. Um, I, I, I could, if things work go well, and he's a hard worker, I could see him progressing at the club, and uh, they probably end up selling him for something like, uh, well, maybe not a quite a just uh, sort of fee, but maybe five or six million at some point. Yeah, he was also the subject of uh, one of your Y Scout blogs, wasn't he recently, uh, Steve? Yes, uh, you know he was obviously one of the players we profiled on on Y Scout. He was one of the best players in the uh, in the league. In the in Norwegian League 2021, and uh, he just dominated things in the middle of the park there for uh, for Viking, great playmaker. But he, he does so many different things, um, and this will be interesting how he steps up at a club, you know, in the, at the top end of, of Denmark. So I think he'll adapt absolutely fine because I, I, he's just one of them players you just you know. Honestly, I think his level is is in, in English terms. I think it's top end of the Championship, bottom end of the Premier League. I yeah. would, uh, I would happily have taken him at Leeds. It's a bit random, but I was actually watching a bit of a uh, Norseland Bromby from the weekend, just gone, and yeah, he did stand out. I was I remember thinking that you had mentioned him. Um, he stood out for his name in terms of the English passport. I think he's got part English heritage, isn't he? And uh, and yes, uh, he does. Yeah, yeah. So he also stood out on the pitch. So good, good to hear. So final one, then Henry. I mean, just looking at the table at the moment, you know, before you reveal your, your maybe your final. Um, player obviously i mentioned the top three you've got alburgos the fourth before you reveal your, your top three i just wondered if you think any of the other i know the league splits doesn't it um so i don't know if you want to just give a very brief um sort of overview of that maybe 30 seconds or so but i just wondered if any of the chasing pack in the in sort of the fifth sixth seventh places they're not too far away are they silkeborg randers i just wondered if you thought any of them can break up further up the table and maybe challenge further up uh, as the season ends um before you reveal your you know, your final. And also the other one thing I wanted to ask you is about Norseland being so low in the table. Um, is that a bit of a surprise to you or, or not? I'll try and take, I'll try and take them in the it's order that I, that I heard them there. <laughs> three, three and one basically. Yeah. yeah. So, so firstly, yes. Um, the league splits in four games time where you've got the, the championship group and the relegation group. 
Um, and so uh, at that point in time, the top six is is locked in. You can't finish lower than sixth. Um, and the, the bottom six is also locked in, so you can't finish higher than seventh. Um, they do give that European playoff uh, between um, the team in, um, uh, I believe it's the team in third this season, actually, um, against the, the top team from the relegation group, just, just so that there's that sort of carrot for them to play for. Um, but then two teams are relegated from the relegation group. Um, top two get uh, Champions League um qualifying stage and the Europa place goes to the cup winner. Uh, so third place, uh, th- third place nets you a, um, a, a conference league spot. So um, yeah, there's, th- there's lots to play for. Um, in terms of the chasing pack, um, it's, it's really tough to call. I mean, R- Randers uh, went into the winter break looking, uh, looking pretty strong. Um, they ended up uh, selling their captain, um, Eric Markson to, to Norgeland. Um, and uh, that you know that they lost to Leicester last week. Look, they lost tonight to to Viborg, and so you know the wheels might be coming off there. I, I don't know. Um, and it could be that one of uh, Viborg or um, AGF managed to sort of nick a, a spot in that top six. But t- to be honest with you, with with only four games left, I have a feeling that that top six is probably locked in. The team that I think is going to be interesting to watch is um, uh, Alborg. I think that they've uh, they, they've made some um, uh, some really great strides, um, you, you know, across across the window, but also um, uh, going into the winter break. You know, they sit in fourth at the moment, and I think that you know they could start knocking on the door of uh, of the top three um, if they progress. And interestingly, they've also picked up um, Viborg manager Lars Fries, uh, who's going to be joining from the summer. Um, who uh, has he's probably been um, stylistically anyway one of the managers of the season uh, in terms of what he's managed to put together at Viborg. So uh, I, I I can't see I, I can't see that the 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 current top four being threatened at the moment, but I think there could be uh, a lot of movement um, within that top four. Um, and the final question that you asked me about Norseland, yeah, they ha- I mean they were um, really really poor. Um, so so far this season, I think that they're, you know, they're the youngest uh, team in the league by some distance, and uh, you know, sold their best player over the summer. And I think that they just sort of struggled with that inexperience. And if you look at the sort of names that they brought in over this window, it's really been trying to add um, some much needed experience. So you know, bringing in Eric Markson from from Randers, um, they uh, they brought in um, a, you know a midfielder from uh, from from Brentford on loan. Um, uh, Benjamin Nigren, uh, right winger from Genk. So you know that they've 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 really gone hard in the market. I think they were the team they were the busiest team in terms of incomings, uh, with I think seven players in. So you know they're really trying to make sure that that six point gap they have over the um, that the relegation zone is widened. But um, you know they uh, they yeah they lost to Bromby at home yesterday. Um, so things still look a bit bleak for them, um, but I can't see them being relegated. I think ultimately they've they've got too much quality, and I think that um, you know when the when the league splits, um, their fixtures are going to get a bit easier, and um, I, I think they'll stay up. But it's, it's not been a vintage season for them. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Thanks a lot for that. And uh, without further ado, your final uh, game changing transfer of this uh, this, this window. Final pick, yeah. So I'm going for uh, I'm going going for um, a, a guy called Mihailo Ivančević, um, who's a, a Serbian under 19 international. 
six foot two centre back who signed for for Odense. Um, and you know, I didn't know a huge amount about him. And one of the things that I, I love about watching the league is that um, you know the signings are often uh, not household names. They're players that you need to get to know. And I, I was speaking to to Ryan Winson, um, who's a, a scout for for Odense. Uh, and he's really, really big on this player. You know, he said that he he really sees him playing in a top five league uh, within a few years. Um, he's, you know, a big centre half, um, but he can use both feet very well. Uh, you know, he was already captaining his his his, uh, his team, Spartak uh, Subotica at 22. You know, he's very a very aggressive um, defender, which is always nice to watch, you know, strong in the tackles. Um but at the same time, comfortable in possession, you know, he can play out from the back. I know that's become a, a very important factor in, in the sort of modern centre-back. Um, and uh, he's also, you know, deceptively quick for a player of his size. So I think that he's going to be a really interesting one to watch. Um, I think that the, 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 the Super League has had a, a long tradition of producing um, very top-class centre-backs. And, you know, this could be the next one. Love that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a bit of a... I'm not sure too many play- people will know about this player, so it could be one to look out for. So uh, do you want to just recap um, your, your picks uh, as we wrap it up? Yeah, so um, obviously Jack Wilshere is going to be hard for, it's going to be hard to uh, avoid him. Um, uh, I, I think that there's going to be lots of eyes on him. So yeah, Jack Wilshere at, at AGF. Um, Max Meyer at FC Michelin, seeing if he can um, recapture some of that um, uh, massive potential. Um, Akinkumni, uh Amu at FC Copenhagen, along with um, Kuma Babakar, uh, seeing if they can link up and start to put together some some magic in that front three. Um, Joe Bell at, at Bromby, um, who's who's already slotted in very well, but but seeing if he can deliver on some of that potential um, that uh, that Steve talked about. And then finally, Mihailo Ivanchevich at uh, at Odense, bringing some some much needed defensive um, strength there, and uh, and and yeah watching the development of a, a, a prototype modern centre-back. Thank you so much, Henry. And uh, where can we find you? Uh, for anyone who isn't aware of you by now, you know, a vital addition to the team. Uh, where can we find you on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, you can find me on Twitter, football in DK, um, where I uh, share any and everything that crosses my mind regarding the, the Danish Superliga. So, yeah, come find me there and, um, and we'll talk Danish football. Fantastic stuff. Thanks so much, uh, Henry, for the interview as well and uh, and the um, the insight into the, the, the game-changing uh, transfers of this window in Denmark. So I think that'll wrap it up. We're going to, in the next part of the show, we'll we'll come back to Sweden and, and, and Norway. Um, <clears throat> Henry, just before we let you go, I'm sure, you know, we'll have you back on the show very soon. But I just wondered if you had a you know, prediction for the title, just what, for anyone who's catching Denmark for the first time, um, maybe looking for a potential title pick. Do you have a oh, yeah. one word? Two-word answer. <laughs> okay, but before before the winter break, I was I I, I was thinking it would be Michelin. Um, but the way things have gone down, that you know, that the signings, uh, the recent round of results, I think that it's just nudged in favour of FC Copenhagen. So I'm going to go with uh, them for the title. But it's 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 a really a shootout. But yeah, I've, that's what I said at the beginning of the season. So I'm going to stick with it. Nice one, Henry. Well, thanks again for coming on and uh, great interview with Jordan. And uh, we'll see you again very soon on the Nordic Football Podcast. Thank you, guys. Keep doing your thing. And that's it for this episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. Uh, appreciate you all. Uh, thanks, Jonathan, Henry, 
and a big thanks to Jordan Gardner as well, our guest uh, on this episode. Remember to check us out on Twitter at Nordic Footpod. You can follow me at Meatman Soccer on Twitter and also Jonathan at JF Football. And of course, Football in DK, that's Henry's account. And if you want to follow uh, our guest, that is at Mr. Jordan Gardner. And we will put that in the description below the episode but uh, until next time stay safe take care and we'll see you again very soon goodbye